Welcome to the Born Unbreakable Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Des, mindset motivator and lifestyle entrepreneur. From lost trauma, disappointments, and devastation to healing hope and betterment, what has grounded me is my unbreakable spirit. We all have that spirit within us. Every week, I'm here to inspire you with stories of perseverance and growth. My mission is to help you crush self-limiting beliefs and to be unapologetically you. You are your only limit, so take action today. Let your unbreakable ride begin now. This episode is brought to you by Brossery. More than just bra straps, the accessory I love. With styles from dainty to daring, you will too. Click the link in the description or go to brossery.com and use promo code BUSHIP to get free shipping on your order today. We're recording! Yeah! Woo! Woo woo! Uh, Welcome to the Born Unbreakable podcast. I'm so excited about this episode. I've invited my friend Erica So on the show. She is a happiness coach, and it is super awesome, actually, how Erica and I met because serendipitously, we didn't know it, but found out that we actually are neighbors in a way because I live in Brentwood, California, and she grew up in Pittsburgh, California, which is a neighboring city. So fancy that. But we actually met through a accountability group that Lewis Howes, who is also a pretty awesome podcaster, uh, created to bring entrepreneurs together that could help each other and uh, people with like minds really elevate their entrepreneurship and just hold each other accountable. So I think almost a year ago, we became accountability partners and we get on the phone every month and talk about what's going on in our worlds and what goals we're working on. And it's funny because every time we get on the phone, it's like, oh, what things are we going to talk about? And then we find like an hour passes by and there's way more to talk about than we think (laughs) is going to happen. So, um, just a little bit about a background about Erica, and then I'm going to let her, you know, take over and, and tell her story a little bit more. Is that Erica actually was a middle school science teacher, and I really relate to her personality because she puts other people first, and that's something that her and I have in common. But um, in some ways, that can be a detriment, right? Putting other people first, you get tired, you get overwhelmed. There's some sense of fulfillment, but at the end of the day, your cup is not full and it can be draining. And so in the process of doing that, she really took a step back and figured out how to deal with her own overwhelm and cultivate more happiness in her life. And today, that is what she helps other people to do, is to get more happiness. Who doesn't want that? Thank you for being here, Erica. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I just, the lawnmower guy just started coming. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you can only control so many things in your life. <laughs> I love it. You got your lawn getting mowed. You got groceries getting brought to the house. It's a, it's a productive day. It's all these things that, you know, everyone 
is dealing with, I think, at home, right? Like if yeah. they're not getting Instacart, the Amazon guy is coming during the Zoom conference call, ringing the doorbell, the dog's barking, they might have a crying child doing a Zoom assignment in another room. So I don't think this would be a real interview if there weren't sounds like coming from be, all over the place. There's got to be something <laughs> happening that's not planned. <laughs> exactly. That's how people know this is real. <laughs> this, is, this is happening in real time. Um, but I just, I think your story is such a cool one. And I think a lot of folks can relate to what it's like putting, putting others first and, and feeling burnt out. So can you, can you just talk a little bit more about your story and what life was like before you decided to focus more on what you're doing today as a happiness coach? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's wild because I think one of the big things, like you mentioned, that like we have in common is this, this people pleasing, trying to take care of everyone else and making sure that everyone is okay and everyone has their place and everyone is, is taken care of. And, um, I was recently visiting my parents this last week and it's so interesting being back in that space because my I think my mom is like the epitome of selflessness and she does I mean, anything and everything she can to make sure everyone else is okay. And uh, <laughs> she's just doing like, she'll buy me things. And I'm like, mom, please don't buy me any, any more clothes. And she's like, well, I already bought you some. And I'm like, no, it's <laughs> awesome trying to take care. And then I went to my friend's plant shop and she bought me, I got a plant and the plant kind of died because it sat in the sun. And then so she went to the store and bought another one to replace it. And I'm like, mom, it's okay. <laughs> it's part of the story. Um, but I feel like that's just, I think that also tells a lot about where I got this, like taking care of others from, because when you, when it's one of your parents, like, and I think it's a lot of the times it's our moms that they just have this like care gene right? It's just like built into you and also being a mother and understanding like your kids need you, right? And and for some of us, we don't have kids or we don't have kids yet. We even have, maybe we have a dog or we have a friend, right? There's someone that we want to take care of. And for me, um, in my former life as a middle school science teacher, I taught in the same district that I grew up in, in Pittsburgh, Unified School District. And if you know anything about the area, it's a very mixed community in all aspects of the word. Uh, of religion, finances, background, ethnicity, like nation of origin, right? So people are from all over the place. And a lot of the times, um, many of the students don't have the resources that you would assume that they do, whether that's a safe home, food to eat every day, uh, study space, pencils, right? And so understanding that background, having lived in it and also now kind of being the mentor for my students, it was really hard because I wanted to do everything I could just like my mom did for me to make sure that my students had opportunities and that my students had everything they needed, whether it was from pencils to snacks, to field trips, to being able to see places beyond our small community. Um, so like one of the things I did is I started several clubs, not just one, but one of them was the adventure club. And we literally took kids to like Exploratorium, to go hiking in Black Diamond Mines, to go to Chinatown and a lot of the kids I'd never really been outside of Pittsburgh. And one of the things was, I was like, oh, what was your favorite part of the trip? And they were like, BART, because that's our Bay Area Regional Transit, right? The local like, train. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, we went all the way to Oakland and you're just like the BART ride. <laughs> and it That's was just, amazing. It, it, it opened my eyes so much because you would assume they love seeing the museum or they love trying the new food or all this and that. And it's like, 
I've just never been on a train before. And, and that was just so humbling to remember like how small sometimes our worlds can be depending on where we are or what uh, resources we have in life. And so I think that's always the blowing the leaves. <laughs> um, uh, so it, it, it helps to really understand like the assumptions that also come with it a lot of the times. And as a teacher, I wanted to not assume too much. And I also wanted to make sure I had everything I could to, to do anything and everything for my students. And so I would be one of the first people there in the mornings. I'd be one of the last people to leave. Like the principals, everyone's gone. As in like, Eric, you gotta go. <laughs> I was like, okay. And then I would pack up my little box of notebooks and like grading on my computer and I'd go home and then I'd take a little break and then I'd keep working there. And if it was notebook check time, I was very meticulously going through and making sure my students had followed all the instructions, had done everything and had very high standards for them because they were so used to people having such low standards. And I said, no, like you're not getting a C, like you need to get an A, you are capable of getting an A and understanding everything and being there. And I was so committed to that. And I thought that meant I had to do everything and so detailed and so meticulously that every assignment they did from their do now, which is like, there's the date in the left margin, that there's the full title, that they have five complete sentences with dots, with the periods very clearly and the capital letters and all of that. And so think of, I was doing that for like 150 students every month. And so I'd go through every assignment that I ever did and make sure all of those things were there, which is just wild. And so my mom started to notice that I was doing that. And then, so she would start helping me. And so we'd stay up until like two or three in the morning together, grading the notebooks and bless her soul. She would look, if the kid had it in the wrong order, I was like, I can't find it zero she would rip it out put it in the right place glue it in and give him full credit for it and i was like mom this is not helpful oh my gosh your mom is so helpful that she even helped the students who did it wrong <laughs> yeah yeah and so the other she was I your teacher's assistant <laughs> and it's so interesting because one of the things i also learned is like when i was in college is that that was almost like a crutch that like kind of prevented me from growing is because my parents and my my mom and my brother especially would kind of help fill in the gaps for me. Like, for example, if I put the assignment in the wrong spot, they would help me rip it out, glue it back in the spot, right spot. And so um, I think in the aspect of like being a perfectionist, right, and having such high standards, especially coming from like an Asian background, right, we're expected to have like the whole like model minority, right. And so having those, I, I'll call it like a crutch of having my family support me and fill in those gaps, it made me realize that if I didn't know how to pick up my own slack, it was okay, right? Until I left for college and until I got my own job, right? Now yeah. I didn't know how to pick up slack. And so that was another learning opportunity for me that uh, I learned was something I want my students to have on their own. I want my students to be able to understand that and to not take away those learning opportunities that sometimes might have felt as an opportunity to give help. Yeah, wow, yeah. I relate to so much of that, especially <laughs> I used to redo my homework as a kid. I, you know, the, the whole perfectionist mentality was real, you know, growing up in a household that had really high standards. Um, my father being an immigrant, you know, from the Philippines, it was like, you need to learn how to be successful in America. So that pressure is real. But um, go, you know, going back to what you said about being a teacher, 
you know, first of all, I want to acknowledge anybody out there who is any kind of teacher, because I have always felt that teachers do so much to teach and, and spend so much time with kids more than any, more than anybody. Right. And they get the supplies They're you know, they wake up early, they go to bed late. And I'm like, why don't they get paid the same amount as doctors? <laughs> they do so much. And sometimes I can, I could see, you know, going back to the, your journey, how tiring that can feel and how that can just weigh on you. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there were days that I would literally break down crying in the middle of class. Um, sometimes I would wait until the kids walked away and sometimes I couldn't make it. And I remember there was one day, I think it was my first year of teaching where kids were throwing stuff. No one was listening. It was just like, cause I also stepped in when my first year of teaching was mid, I came in February. So I had four, four months left. Uh, and kind of the lesson was uh, just keep the kids safe <laughs> and, and get, get through anything you can because they had already been yeah. through, I think two teachers that year. Um, and they already not, not learned much anyways. And so it was keep them safe and teach them get them excited about anything you can. And so yeah. teaching in general is very hard. And so coming in mid year and, uh, title one school, uh, which means that there's many students that qualify for free and reduced lunch. Um, just all the layers, right? And so uh, I only teach in Title I school districts or I had only taught in Title I school districts because I figured if I teach anywhere else, the kids are gonna be fine. When I'm doing my work, I wanna make sure that I'm making a difference and that it has an impact, not that I'm just going to work to get a paycheck. Yeah, yeah. You know, it makes a huge difference to be there for those students that don't necessarily have, like you said, the resources to make them successful. So I know that that work was impactful because I think back to the teachers I had in my life and couldn't imagine <laughs> getting from one stage to the next without their support, without their guidance and without them, their encouragement during all the times you thought you couldn't, you weren't smart enough, you couldn't get to the next level. Yeah. So as you started to transition, what, did you begin to learn about yourself and the process of cultivating happiness as you got more into that when you reached your peak of burnout? <laughs> yeah, it, it's so interesting when you say peak of burnout because it was so cyclical, right? It was like depending on the time of the school year and it, it just had a, like a natural flow to it. It's like you start, you get new kids, it's exciting and then you just get burnt out because now the honeymoon phase is over, your kids know who you are and they let out their true selves, right? So there was like right. multiple peaks of overwhelm, I would say. Um, and I think I knew after year one, after my full first year of teaching that I knew, I was like, this is not healthy. I should not, I should not be putting myself through this because I'm not sleeping. I'm not really eating. I'm not uh, emotionally well. I'm crying all the time, either like at school, at home, somewhere else, and I need to do something different. And I was so afraid because I didn't know what the other thing was. And I think along the journey, like the first thing that came to mind when you asked me, like, what did I learn? Um, I think is boundaries, where I think a lot of the times boundaries are viewed in such a negative light, like, oh, you're only doing this for this time. And then I even kind of had this uh, 
changing relationship with boundaries while I was teaching. Cause it's like, you have your, your science period, you have your English period, you have your math period. And I'm like, that's dumb. Like we should make sure that the kids understand. Cause I was the, the science and steam teacher. So steam is science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. And I wanted the kids to see how it blended together that it's not just science. It's not just English. It's not just math, but all these things flow into each other. Mm -hmm. And yet there's a space for to have those boundaries because when we have the boundaries, we can really focus on one thing at a time and then use it to integrate in other spaces. And so now the way I look at it is specifically, I look at time boundaries, right? Just, and it's so, it's so interesting how I pull a lot of these things out from the school day where I'm like, okay, this is work time. This is lunch time. This is video game time. <laughs> this is time to play with Milo, my dog, right? And just understanding that there is a time and place for everything. And that doesn't mean that the other things aren't important. It's just not the time for that right now. Wow. Something as simple as that um, and recognizing that, well, we probably shouldn't be doing like four things at once, although we try <laughs> or, or constantly. I feel like that is a trying to get an A plus in multitasking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's like a whole you know? thing too, is like the whole multitasking versus monotasking, like how much energy is wasted trying to switch between the tasks or try to, trying to like multiply your focus when really you can only look at one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like technology is the detriment to that. <laughs> you know, you're distracted because you're, a lot of people are doing Zoom now for conversations, meetings, things like that. Meanwhile, they've got their other technologies, you know, going off. You're getting text messages, phone calls, other things happening. It's so easy to get distracted. Yeah. 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 It's like the first thing that we talk about. Like any, like if I do a workshop or if I'm working with someone, number one thing, okay, minimize distractions. And I name all the different ways that you could cut off like multitasking in any form as possible. Yeah. Yeah. That, and what well, I'm, and, going to workshops and things that you've done to help people, what, what do you find are the biggest struggles when someone comes to you and they're like, I want to be more happy and less overwhelmed? Like, yeah. <laughs> what, are the, what are the patterns or habits or things that you see that make it such a struggle? Yeah. So one of the big ones is people-pleasing right? And wanting to make sure everyone else is, is good. And then on the flip side of that, of, of people pleasing is this guilt for taking time for ourselves, that we're being selfish if we're doing something just for ourselves, or if we're not being productive enough, right? So this people pleasing and perfectionism is a, is a common pairing. Um, because if it's not the best thing ever, which it's never going to be, <laughs> we're like constantly beating ourselves up for it and saying, why didn't I do it this way? Or why did I waste time? Why did I take a break when I could have finished it. And it's like, realize that when you take a break, you're actually recharging your battery so that when you work on that again, you have a full battery instead of like having 1% left and you're like anxiously trying to finish it before you're, before you're just out of energy, right? And so that's, I think one of the other interesting things about humans versus like a phone or a car is that when it's at 1%, like we can keep that 1% going forever. Whereas a phone is literally just gonna turn off or a car is just gonna stop going, right? But us, we think, I don't know. I, I don't really understand how that works, but that 1% lasts for a very long time. <laughs> that is such a good comparison. That is really true. 
we really run on empty for quite a long time <laughs> before we well and it's probably our recognition of that is the outcomes that get produced right things that you do ha that don't get done right when you're tired and you're 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 operating at less than your ideal state um you make mistakes and it doesn't go so well when when you start um running on fumes yeah so and that's yeah I was just going to say, I think one of the other big things about that is that a lot of people just get so accustomed to wanting to running on 1% and it's almost this like survival mode. And so it's just this constant like chaos. Like I have my eyes wide open and like freaking out. You're like, just trying to like stay awake and like, I need to drink coffee. I need to have energy drinks. Like I need to sleep for two hours because that's all I need. And like, it's really not healthy. Right. And then understanding yeah. like, okay, when you're running on that for eternity, right? You are going to make mistakes. You are going to get frustrated. You are going to be irritable. You are going to get lonely. You are going to get angry. You're going to be hungry because you didn't eat. <laughs> like, and it's like, it's not enough to just shove something down your throat and go on. Like you need to like give yourself like nourishment, in other forms besides food, right? You need to refill that battery and all those different capacities, not just get by and keeping it at that 1%. Yeah. It's, it's so unhealthy, especially over the long haul. You know, and then, and you don't want to get to that point where it's when you go to the doctor and a professional has to tell you that you're, you know, you're run down, <laughs> you need more exercise, you need a better diet, things like that. And then you, know, you want to have more of a preventative approach to actually enjoying life and, and not, um, aging yourself faster than you need to <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah and it's my dad always jokes he's like you go to the hospital and then you have some condition and then they, they give you the bill and you have like another heart attack because it's just like so much and you're overwhelmed by how overwhelmed you are and it's like what is it going to take and i think one of the the quotes i've heard recently that's really resonated with me is this idea that uh you're not going to change until the pain of change exceeds or uh, until the pain of staying exceeds the pain of changing, right? Because if you're just like mm -hmm. sitting on a hot stove, you're not going to get off the hot stove until it takes more energy, uh, until it hurts more to get off the stove than it is to get off. Yeah, yeah. And um, when I would teach change management classes, there's actually a visual that we would use that is like a, a oven dial where, you know, it turns to pain or yeah. the, the two things that motivate people are like pain because it just sucks so bad or it's you've reached that, reach that place where you can't take it anymore or opportunity. You know, opportunity arises that is, is, is so evident that it, it pushes you towards a change. So that's, that's, so, that's so true. Um, but you talked about perfectionism and people pleasing. Yeah. I totally have suffered my whole life <laughs> with both of those illnesses. <laughs> um, and so I, I, I very vulnerably will say that I do think it's a process and I think self-awareness and boundaries and things like what you're talking about are just, you know, boundaries are a tool to help you manage something, especially if it's innately a thing that you do to, to do that. Um, what are some things that you would do with somebody 
that was struggling with with those things? Like what what might they implement over time to even just make a couple millimeters of a shift to be less of a people pleaser, feeling not guilty for taking time for their cells or saying no, um, and just, you know, being able to move forward in protecting their peace <laughs> a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the really big pieces that I like to do is like going through the mindset of like, what does it mean to be a people pleaser? And like, where is that coming from? Which is like, as a kid, we have to people please because that's literally how we survive. If our fam, if our family and parents, our caretakers are not happy, <laughs> we might not eat, right? And so you need to keep those people happy uh, to survive. And it's it's just that when we get older and we start to become our own caretakers, that that programming no longer uh, really serves us. Even if it is we're trying to people please at work, there's only a certain degree to which we need to meet uh, others once you could say right because there's certain things that need to be done and then there's all the the million cherries we try to throw on top to make sure that the other person's happy right and and at the end of the day we can't ultimately control that uh at work we have an agreement i do that i do xyz and you pay me on the 25th of the month right and it's not to say that you need to be careless and you need to do it in a cold way right it's understanding that there's a boundary that you this is a big one you are not your work right? Whatever job you are. I was not a teacher, right? A teacher was one of the things I did, but that doesn't mean that I am a teacher and that my job or whatever I did at work was an indication of who I as a, who I am as a person. It's simply a piece of who I am and, and the things that I am doing, right? And so that's a yeah. huge piece is being able to parse that and show these are the, the, the multiple facets of ourselves instead of just owning that one identity and, and uplifting it, which is taught in our society, right? When we ask like, oh, and tell me a little bit about yourself. Number one thing, people talk about their work and then they don't really say anything else because we're taught that we're only supposed to be productive individuals of society that contribute in a financial way, right? that we're making the world better place by working for someone else. That is so true. Yeah. that And, and that's like the first thing that people say most of the time. It's tell me about yourself. It's, I feel like 99% of the time it's associated with a job or a career. And, and even That's with kids, when we say like, what do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be a police officer. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a doctor. Right. And then you always yeah. see like cute inspirational quotes. You say, I want to be happy. And I'm like, yeah, everyone does. Right. And so I think people are afraid to say that because they think it's stupid. Right. Or if it's yeah. not. Like, not realistic, right? Because always, everyone's always complaining about what's going on in life and it's just adulting. When in reality, mm -hmm. it's like, you don't have to live that way. And I think the other hard part about that is if we haven't seen an alternate reality, if that's the way our parents have lived, if that's the way our family members live, if that's the way that we, people we look up to live, how are we supposed to know that there's anything else that's possible? Yeah. It's outside of your world you know yeah i rem i remember um this time when i was volunteering with youth in colorado <clears throat> when i worked out there doing a consulting project and we were working with um high school students 
and uh, they were from inner cities and they didn't have a lot of opportunities growing up. They were, they were limited. Oftentimes these are kids that helped raise their little brothers and sisters and, and couldn't really see possibilities of things like college or becoming anything that you wanted to become. And I remember this exercise that we did and it was uh, to draw a circle and write down everything you know about inside the circle. So it would be like family, helping my parents, you know, certain things like that. And then we'd say on the outer part of the circle, write down things that you are curious about, but you don't, you don't know about. They would write down things like science or other subjects that they've maybe heard discussed but haven't had any depth in that subject matter. And, and the whole point of the exercise was to say, you don't know what you don't know. There's always a world of things outside your little circle that you have the opportunity to explore if given the resources you know and the knowledge to take action on whatever is on the outside of that circle so i always thought that was a very fascinating way with people to have that understanding is there's there's always something that we don't know yeah and as you say that i'm like it's interesting because it's like they they know a little, they know some of the things they don't know, but then you think yeah. about everything else that's off the page, right? They've never even oh, heard yeah. of. And I think oh, yeah. it's, I love, <laughs> I love having my teaching background because I feel like so much of my own lived experience and a lot of people's lived experience comes back to childhood. And a lot of the things I learned as a teacher uh, can be related to adults can be related to people older than me, can be related to anyone in the world and like understanding the value of play and understanding that we all need, we all have these basic needs, right? And so in my teaching credential program, they talk, talked about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and it's like, yeah, everyone needs those things. It's not, it's not just kids. Yeah. Yeah. But somehow when we become adults, we condition ourselves otherwise. Right, like we you go against your not needed these things anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's programming that we do to ourselves unnecessarily. It's interesting because we're not really doing it to ourselves, right? We are also a product of our environment, and so when we, mm -hmm. even if we're not taught it explicitly, just by observing and, and seeing how others model it for us, whether that's directly from our parents or teachers or mentors of any shape or form, or that's through media, through music and movies and Netflix, right? There are models that exist that, okay, maybe we're doing it to ourselves because we're choosing what to watch it, right. but we're also not the ones creating that content. And, and like, again, how do we know what we don't know when there's very few examples or they're far, few and far between to be able to find alternate options out there than the norm that is placed before us? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think that we, we can do more of to, to help bring a better sense of balance to our lives and, and maybe get out of the, I don't know, 
very stereotypical life is happy when you accomplish things and are productive and do get the job that pays more that you can get promoted and you can be at the top like how do we start to break down what obviously is a myth because we see what happens and the detrimental things that when you do all of those things that they're not what makes you happy right yeah. we've seen really sad stories of incredibly successful people you know like um anthony bourdain and kate spade and robin williams who commit suicide yeah. when arguably they had everything yeah it's, materially it's wild because what I'll say, the, the number one thing we can all do is notice. Notice how you feel. That is like one of the things my clients, anyone I work with, they know. I'm, I'm always asking, how do you feel about that? Because I want them to do a personal check-in. I don't care what they said. Because it, at the end of the day, it's their life, right? And I'm there to help them and support them. And if I, can, if I tell them how they feel like, or how I feel about what they're doing, it doesn't really matter but how they feel and for them to get attuned to and used to listening to how they feel is the best thing that you can do because you can listen to all these research, you can watch all these movies, you can read all these books, you can learn everything about psychology, but if that doesn't apply to you because you are different in some way, that's totally fine. It's important for you to notice what is going on for you and for you to notice how it feels whenever you're doing X, Y, Z. Because I think what happens is we're also used to and accustomed to and we've been taught to just keep going and going and going and hustle and, and and do everything and get it all done and so that you can get your trophy or uh employee of the year or raise or whatever it is right and that we ex we rely on that external feedback right we're looking for that praise that, that acknowledgement that acceptance from our community right which also goes back into our happiness and like hormones and everything and survival but when we can pay attention and notice how things are affecting us internally and pause long enough to notice that, right? Because I think that's the biggest thing is that we don't have space and society is almost designed to not give us that space to notice. Because yeah. when we do that, we're not gonna be pouring our 99% out for everyone else and only keeping one to 0% for ourselves, right? Yeah, that's not sustainable. It's not. And so the other thing I was gonna share but again, it all goes back to just notice how it feels for you and like give yourself that second to breathe, right? Because you talked about um, having everything. It's like, I will be happy when, right? I, that is a, like a line out of one of my <laughs> presentations I do about like happiness and life satisfaction is that it's a myth. We are, not, we are not going to be happy when because there's something called the hedonic treadmill. And the idea is that whenever you have this goal that you're working towards, you're so excited and you finally get to it and you feel great for like a minute or a week, maybe a month. And then after a while, you start to get used to it, right? And then it's not so great anymore. You just take it for granted because now you have it and you're so used to it. And then you get bored with it and now you have to find something else to want, right? And it just keeps going through the cycle. And it's the same thing, whether that's uh, learning how to play tennis or buying a house or getting married or drawing a picture. They all have a very similar effect. And you think about how drawing a picture compares to buying a house, right? There are different base needs met by each of those accomplishments. Uh, mm -hmm. But it also, 
changes based on like the scale, right? Did you need that $3 million house or could you have been okay with the 1.5 million one? Right. Yeah. And you're trying to not keep up with the Joneses and recognize like, what do you really need? How does that feel to you? Right. Maybe you do need that $3 million house because you have a ton of families that you're taking care of or because I don't know, there's reasons. And I think that's another piece yeah. that people often for, take for granted too, is this judgment where just because someone's house costs $3 million, they automatically assume things about them. And maybe mm-hmm. all those assumptions are false. Right. And you know nothing about why that house needed to cost $3 million And they're actually doing a ton of good for the world and they're taking care of themselves along the way. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Everything that you described is <clears throat> moments in time that can be fleeting. You know, it lasts that that feeling lasts for temporarily and you're constantly striving to find it again, like like a drug. You know, why? Why do people have an addiction for something? They get a high. And they're constantly striving for that, for that high. The interesting thing I think about what you said is going back to upbringing is what we're taught, right? Like what, what do you see happiness is? And often we're indoctrinated with images and notions of when certain things happen, you know? And I know for me, I'd feel this way when people would ask certain questions you know, as, as you reached a certain age, like, well, when are you going to get married? When are you going to have kids? When are you like, there are these things that others think should happen. And then now all of a sudden you feel like if you decide that that isn't for you, does that make you bad or wrong or you, never being able to be happy because you didn't do that thing that other people said you should. Yeah. It's even when you said that, it makes me think of like once upon a time, blah, 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 happy ever after. Right. And it's always like this grandiose story of boy meets girl. And then something, there's some monster, right. They introduce some kind of evil and it's, it's really like, if anyone's into film and that the whole hero's journey, right? There's all these steps along the story that make it exciting and interesting to watch. In reality, it, we do have those, but they come in seasons, right? And so there's never really a happily ever after, happy ever after, because we're always <laughs> there's always more to the story, hopefully, right? Right. And I think it's so wild it, it, that that we often are so indoctrinated into like adopting this story and that that's the only way to do it. And then we feel bad if maybe we don't want to have a partner or if maybe we don't want to have kids. Right. And it's, it's okay. Right. And having to, again, notice how that feels (laughs) because we're looking for that validation or that support or that understanding or that celebration from an external force, which is how we're taught right? As kids, we're not taught to ask, how do you feel, right? This goes into so many different areas of consent, right? When you're a kid, kiss your aunt, give your mom a hug, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, maybe I don't want to. And then you look at that kid as being rebellious. And then maybe there was actually something else happening, right? Maybe not. Maybe they just didn't feel like giving them a hug right now, but that should be taught. We should be teaching our kids to have consent, right? And if (laughs) they're just being rude and whatever, like understanding that, like maybe they're really cranky and tired and they need a nap, right? We need to meet those basic needs and normalize listening to ourselves to meet those basic needs instead of ignoring them and just doing what we're told, 
Yeah, we do. And and we I think it's it's autopilot, you know? You just you spend so much time listening to what other people say that you should do. I think in adulthood, it's taking back that power to think about what you think best serves you. Yeah. What fills you up? What lights you on fire? Because oftentimes you find it's not the thing that you were told would. Yeah. And that's the, that's the, the journey. It's so interesting because when you said autopilot, it makes me think because like a big part of my programs is like building routines so that you can go on autopilot. But it's after you've taken the time to notice and bring back the intention and understand how do these things affect me? Because decision fatigue is also very real, right? Yeah. When you're having to make so many decisions and choices and, and figure things out all of the time, like there's only so many choices you can make in a day without like blowing up and you're like, okay, whatever, right? And there's a lot of things that happen after you reach that point and you start making reckless decisions, you start being like, any, mini, miny, mo, or you just put, the, put off the decision and things don't get done because you're so exhausted, you don't want to make any more choices. And it's like, if you can pause and give yourself that space and time to figure out, okay, what do I really want? How do I fit this into my day? And then you can go back onto autopilot, except you've record, like you've now decided what is the course of your life and you've now decided what is the direction I want to go instead of just being pushed around and moving on whatever autopilot was programmed for you as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love that because it's that intentionality is putting you in the driver's seat. Yeah. You know, you're not just the passenger you're in the driver's seat and you're choosing the destination that you want to get to. And I think that's, that's a big shift that, we make in our lives when we want to take ownership and accountability. And, and I, I love what you just said, because it's, it's something that all of us, if you're listening right now can do so simply is to just ask ourselves questions, you know, what am I doing? How do I feel about it? Does it make me happy? And it's amazing what you'll find if you actually spend enough time with yourself understanding things like your feelings, which oftentimes get suppressed. And you're yeah. like, I'll just deal with it <laughs> later. Yeah. And that was another thing I learned from teaching is that if I did not address my feelings at one point, they were going to come up at some, at some point. It's going to explode. <laughs> There's going to be a yelling fit, a crying fit. There's going to be some kind of emotional explosion, right? You can imagine it like a, a boiling pot of water. Right. If you don't turn down that heat, it's going to start whistling or steam is starting is going to start coming out the sides. But that pressure does need to be released somehow. And you can either be, uh, I'll, I'll say, a victim. You can you can say you, it can just explode and that just happens. However, it happens, or you can take more control and decide. Okay, I'm going to slowly turn up, open this lid, or I'm going to just boil the water without a lid on it. Right. And and understanding what that looks like for you. Um, and the other thing I was going to say, too, is when you're, you're sharing those questions of like, why am I doing this? Why am I feeling this way? Is also like to kind of look at the other side and say, sometimes there's things that don't get done. And instead of shaming yourself and feeling guilty for not getting them done, why is this not getting done? It's obviously not a priority for you. And is that something that you're proud of? Or is that something that you want to own? Or is it something that you want to like dig deeper and see why is this? Why has this been such a low priority for me? Yeah. 
So understand both sides of that, what you are doing and what you're not doing. And if there's anything that you're not doing that you actually want to accomplish, what would it take yeah. to do that? What would you have to change in order to see that come into fruition? Yeah. That's so eye-opening. The simple act of writing down how you spend your time. I think that's probably terrifying <laughs> for for some of us, right? Like, I don't want to actually know how I spend my time. Yeah. And, and I remember one of my clients that I am working with now, I did a free workshop six months ago. And I kind of put up this question. It's like, okay, you need to catalog like where your time is going. And she's like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and she outright Resistance. said she didn't want to know. And then three months later, she came to me and she's like, okay, can we work together? <laughs> and it's like, it, it takes that time of processing and understanding, like, am I ready for support? Like, do I even want to look down this, this rabbit hole? Because I think sometimes we're so overwhelmed and we're so, we're in such a, a state of, of survival that we don't have the capacity or we don't feel, I don't know what the right word is. Like, we don't feel right. And, and, and taking that introspective look, right? Mm -hmm. And connecting this to the pandemic, right? I think a lot of the times people didn't want to look, they didn't want, they didn't have the priority, but it was forced upon them. Here is some space to reflect and to figure out what is going on in your life. And yeah. I feel like that's one of the, the scariest parts, actually, you know. Um, well, both scary and enlightening, right? Like, that's actually why, you know, I reached out to you and wanted to do this discussion was because I thought about how much time over the last year and a half almost <laughs> we've been in, in a pandemic where even despite things opening up more, there still is a fear, you know, of being out too much. And a lot of people have almost become uh, accustomed you know, to being, to being at home or being alone. But in that time of more isolation or solitude, you're, you're thinking more and reflecting more about your life because you didn't have the same opportunities to just go out and socialize and be in group settings and, you know, get energy from other people in the same way. And so I think many of us have asked that question of, gosh, what does happiness look and feel like now, you know, in a new world order? And so hopefully we've all learned a little bit. I can't say totally coming out of the other end, but transitioning maybe into the world where things are more open than they were you know, back in the beginning of 2020. Yeah. And I think it's also really interesting because that, that you could say like a forced time of reflection or introspection um, <clears throat> brought people to a lot of different places. And I think like one of the things that was very interesting was they talked a lot about like a higher divorce rates, right? Where yeah. I think some 
some couples realized that they didn't actually like their relationship. It was just out of convenience and they could not actually stand the person. They didn't actually want to be there. And I think there's yeah. you know, just specifically on that vein, there's like so much stigma against divorce and people think of it as like a failure or that it means something about you. And going through conversations and experiences of families that have divorces or haven't had divorces or didn't have divorces and probably should have had divorces. Right. It's understanding that like every step of the way is there are mistakes. Right. And there's always things that are going to get messed up. And I think rather than admitting that and trying to be in denial is, is even worse than, than trying to be honest and open and, and, and real with yourself and whoever else is impacted even beyond divorce, right? Like just in life, if you make a mistake, if you try to hide it, it usually ends up worse <laughs> than if you would yeah. just, just cough it up and, and say, I messed up. And then you figure it out together. Yeah. I, I feel like vulnerability and owning our mistakes is such a, a huge part of maturing. You know, we're in such a culture where it's actually propagated and promoted to show only what your best foot forward looks like. If you go to Facebook right now, we're seeing that one side of the coin for the most part, right? You're seeing the weddings, the babies, the graduate, and it's great. These are all great, happy moments that you, um, and, and then it's the dopamine hit, right? Like that's why people uh, do that, putting, putting these uh, accomplishments, achievements out there into the world, but they're not putting like, or maybe some people are, <laughs> that they cry themselves to sleep that night because they've been unhappy in their relationship for the last as long as they can remember, you know, or whatever those hardships and those real pain experience, those painful experiences people are going through, they're doing it, sometimes suffering in silence, you know, and, and also worried, you said this word earlier, about judgment. Worried what people are gonna think about them. Worried that they used to be revered for being in the best relationship and now they're going to be ostracized for deciding that that relationship isn't the best for them anymore. Now people are going to think less of them. You know, I think that's a, a big example of something that I've experienced personally, but I've seen many others as well as going through that self-acceptance of sometimes doing things that are not always the popular option. Yeah. And and what you learn and and sometimes doing um making unpopular decisions but being okay with them. Yeah, and I think when you mentioned judgment at the end of the day, you can't you can't decide how other people are going to see you or view or think of you, right? Even if you're like, there's it's a Casey Musgraves, I think is her name. And she has a song, it's called a cup of tea or something like that. And then she talk, just mm -hmm. talks about how you can't be everyone's cup of tea, no matter how hard you try. 
Some people like green tea, some people like black tea, some people like honey, some people like sugar, some people like milk, right? You can't be everyone's perfect cup of tea because everyone just has different preferences. And so even if you bend yourself backwards to do everything for everyone else, there's always going to be someone that's unhappy. And so you can decide if that's going to be you or if that's going to be someone else. And I think it always someone else is going to be in there (laughs) that's unhappy. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Are you going to be in that group of that, of unhappy people? Yeah. And I, I am because I have suffered for many years of the people pleasing plague. Um, I had to learn about boundaries like you described, and I had uh, to put a post-it on my uh, computer screen, like right there in the front to see on a daily basis, an hourly basis sometimes if I sat there long enough, that said, you're not responsible for other people's happiness. But I thought by people-pleasing, I could accomplish that. If I do X, they will be happy. Yeah. It didn't always work. Yeah. Even, <laughs> Sadly. Even if you're focusing on a specific person, right? Even yeah. if it's just your partner, your mom, your brother, whatever, even if you're, or your boss, right? Or your coworker, even if it's just one person you're trying to people please, you can't always make them happy because <laughs> sometimes there's other things going on. And I, I love what you said about the post-it and it, it might, I post it all over the place. <laughs> There's, there's some over there. There's some over there. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, but it reminds me of the idea. It's in both education and marketing that you have to hear or ex- you have to experience something seven times, right? So when I'm with my kids, I say it out loud. I have them repeat it. I have them write it down, and then they have to write a story about it and they draw a picture. And so in that process of also called spiral learning, right? You've heard it and experienced it enough times that now you understand it, and it's not just I could parrot it back to you, but you have enough experiences with it that you you see how it applies to you personally and you see how how it fits into your your paradigm of the world that exists through your lenses. Yeah. Totally. Totally. So speaking of personally, I did want to ask you a few questions to get to know you a little bit better. Yeah. So the first question that I have for you is what three words best describe you? Oof. All right. First one that comes to mind is spunky. It's like, I'm just going to say three words, no explanation. <laughs> 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 spunky. Um, outdoorsy. And... Empathetic. I think it could be yeah. my three. I could see all of those, all <laughs> of those three. Okay. My next question is what is something that you're working on improving? Oof. Yeah, lots of things. One thing though. <laughs> um, I think the one I'm like most most adamantly focused on right now is like appropriate vulnerability and like being able to lead and model for my clients and my audience and my students that I'm still connected with that being open and and experiencing all the different sides of my life um, is something I want to share and show that is normal. It's good. It can be helpful. 
right? Instead of just saying, okay, these are the things that you can do. This is what happiness looks like. And like doing the whole thing from like the happy perspective is also revealing and sharing, they call it like the shadow work, right? And like the other side mm. of these things. And like, even though I'm a happiness coach and I have a lot of great things in my life, there's still moments that are beyond my control and there's still things that happen and I need to let out my emotions and I need to, I do sometimes swear and I am sometimes rude and it's just part of life and it's not bad, right? It's, it's yeah. a part of the reality that I experience. Yeah. We're multifaceted people. We're not one dimensional living in joy. Yeah, exactly. 24 hours a day. Yeah. Totally vibe with that. All right. What is a self-limiting belief that you've had to overcome? Again, so many. Uh, <laughs> hmm. I think one of the biggest ones that I would say that I'm still working on is this idea with money, right? Is if I have a lot of money, um, I don't know how I would complete that. Cause I think in the, back in the day, I would say if, if I have a lot of money, I'm a bad person. Right. Which I, I know is not true anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, if I have a lot of money or when I have a lot of money, um, it also comes with this like great, with great responsibility or with great power comes great responsibility. Right. It's like when I have yeah. a lot of money, it's like, what am I going to do with it? And how am I going to continue amplifying the work that I do and that my clients do to help people have normalized rest and play in their lives. Right, that we're not constantly yeah. working all the time, working to the grave. Yeah. Ah, that is that is one I think is really fascinating, is is just the relationship with money, you know, and how how we look at that in ways that are powerful, productive, and positive, you know, and not in the ways that oftentimes we do see what money can do to people in, in a negative way, right? Yep. That's a really good one. Okay. Next question is, what is one thing that you want to see changed in the world? I, I think that's what I just said, right? Is like my biggest, my mission uh, is to help change makers everywhere continue serving the world by serving themselves first or making themselves happy first, right? It's like, you've all heard it, right? When you get on the airplane, you yeah. got to put your oxygen mask on first and we're so busy over here putting on everyone else's oxygen masks because we're passing out. <laughs> yeah, right, and right. So normalizing and helping people understand and believe, right? Not that just they, not that, not that they do it blindly, but they understand, believe, and, and own the importance of self-care so that they can continue helping everyone else. Because I think at the very end of the day, like I said that a lot, um, we all want to help someone. That's why we do what yeah. we do, right? And the other big thing I'll I share agree. is uh, people often look at things as good or bad. And that all depends on your perspective because regardless of anything going on in the world, you might see it as good or bad and someone else will see it the other way. But if you step into their shoes, your perspective will shift. And I don't think that there's mm. really any bad people or bad people, bad. Yeah, I'll just say that. There's not really bad people in the world. It's just when you're put into a desperate situation or you're not getting help and you don't know how to express yourself or you don't know how to 
ask for help, right? That boiling yeah. pot is going to explode, right? And if you don't have what mm -hmm. you need, you get desperate and you're not really thinking clearly anymore. And so for them in that moment, they might think it's good or something that they need. And yeah. I think what you're telling me is that I need to get a massage and do a facial mask later today. So, you know, it'll just make me a better person. Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad you're, you're paying, you're noticing and paying attention to how you feel and what is needed. And I think some people listening will laugh and it's like, no, it's, it's real. Like when you can pamper yourself and you can feel like the best person that you are, that's how you show up to work. That's how you show up for your friends and family. You are now the best that's person right. to them. You're not a shitty, grump, grumpy, cranky person that needs to eat and yell at someone. That's right. <laughs> you know, I got lower back pain. I'm going to, I'm going to manage that. I'm going to, you know, get that taken care of so I can feel better. Yeah. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of self-care. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> Team self-care. <laughs> Team self-care. Hashtag self-care. Um, um, okay. My last question for you is what is one of the best pieces of advice that you've ever been given? Oh, I, I feel like I, I've started defaulting to this. Um, and it was actually a friend who was reading a book and this quote was in the book and she's, she said it's a, I don't remember the exact quote, but I'm going to say the sentiment is just like, um, all it, like take advice with a grain of salt. Right. And it's kind of hinting at this whole perspectives thing. It's like whenever someone is giving you advice or support or help, that they're doing mm -hmm. it through their own lens because that's how they see the world and that's how they've experienced the world. And it's yeah. very likely you see it similarly, but it's also possible that you see it in a completely different way and maybe their advice is not going to help you or maybe it will hurt you. And so yeah. instead of just blindly taking that advice to check and notice, how is this helpful for me? Is this something that I do want to do or is this something that is helpful to know is helpful for others and not necessarily? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I really like the author, um, Don Miguel Ruiz, who wrote The Four Agreements. Mm. And there's a series of books that he does, and his sons do, write books as well. And he did a book called The Fifth Agreement. And he talks about basically listen, but be skeptical. And I think that aligns with what you're saying is, is I think we should welcome different pieces of advice and insights and perspectives from the world around us. It makes us more well-rounded people, but have some skepticism as to, you know, if that works for you. Um, because listening doesn't necessarily mean agreeing. Yeah. Doesn't mean you have to agree with everything. It just means have enough of an open mind to hear what others have to say. Yeah. So I really like that a lot. That is awesome. Um, so Erica, what programs, um, things that you want people to know about that you offer if they're looking to maybe do a workshop on happiness or focus a bit more on getting rid of overwhelm and cultivating more of what they want in their life? How could they work with you? 
Yeah, absolutely. So my intro program is called the Jumpstart to Daily Happiness in Seven Days. And what that looks like is it's six days on your own. I, uh, I give you the dates. Um, and then there's about an hour of content you go through each day at whatever time works best for you. And then day six or day seven is a, a coaching call with me. And so uh, we'll walk through like, what did you come up with? How did you decide you want happiness to show up in your day? What were the boundaries and the barriers and the things that you want to work on? And each of those six days before, I'm also working with you one-on-one -on -one to make sure, A, that you're, you're doing the reflection. So you tell me the time that you're doing it and I'll say, hey, you forgot to do it. Like, what's going on? Like, is there something you need? I was like, oh, I forgot. Um, and then I'll also give you like one-on-one -on -one feedback throughout the process of like what's going on. And so that's a, a great foundational piece for you to see, okay, like what do you want happiness to look like in your life and in your daily routine, right? So that's like the big goal of, of the jumpstart is to build a daily routine that brings you happiness in the morning, at lunch, and at, in the evening. Um, and then for people who are looking for a larger commitment or want it to be uh, sustainable and, and just to continue throughout their whole life is I have a program called Scheduling Happiness. And in that we do the jumpstart, we also look at how can you expand that to your weekly, monthly, annual routines and create spaces for you to notice how you're feeling and, and normalize paying attention to, to what's going on in your life instead of just like blindly accepting and following all the routes that are paved before you. Um, and so just being really aware and just, just cultivating that happiness so that you know what does make you happy and like what are the things that are stopping you and how can we bridge that gap? That's amazing. So where can people find you and yeah. learn about your programs or, and follow you? Yeah, absolutely. So I have my website is beginbranchingout.com. You can also reach out to me directly at Erica, E-R-I-K-A, at beginbranchingout.com. And then you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Begin Branching Out. Awesome. Oh, my gosh. I'm so happy that you came on the show. I feel like this was such an energizing conversation. Definitely a good reminder for me about boundaries and just taking care of ourselves. You know, I think there's, we should all do that. I think we show up as better versions of ourselves for the others that we care about when we have that balance. So thank you for the reminder and just thank you for showing up and doing the amazing work that you do in the world. I really appreciate you. Thank you, Des. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on, and I hope everyone has a great day. Awesome. Thank you. That was such a fun episode to record with my friend Erica, Bay Area native. Hey, girl. Hey. Uh, I am so refreshed and energized from the discussion because I really do believe that there are some basic struggles in life and navigating how to become a happier person is something that is universal and we're striving for in some kind of way throughout our life journey. I personally have had to work on many of the things that Erica talked about. Boundaries is absolutely one of them people-pleasing, perfectionism. Can you relate? Are these things that you have suffered from too? And take a moment, think to yourself, what is it that I can do to give myself the time that I deserve so I can show up 
as a better person. What do you need to do right now? What might that be? What time would you take? What activity would you do? Make a decision and act on it. Because as I always say, you are your only limit. So take action today because the time is now. Remember that tomorrow is not promised. As much as we want to put things off and say later, not now. That's not good enough. It's just not good enough. It doesn't suffice because we only have this moment. We only have this moment right now to make the decisions that we need to make to take our lives to the next level. So if you want to be happier, these are the things that you need to do and ask yourself those questions. What are you doing? How do you feel about it? Does it make you happy? (sighs) All right. Now that I am fully wanting to go get a massage and give myself self-care, I'm in good spirits because I have every intention to do those things. And I hope you have intentions to do what you need to do for yourself. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Born Unbreakable podcast. Don't forget to tune in again next week. If you haven't already, subscribe and follow so you don't miss an episode of the show. Watch me on YouTube. Listen wherever you listen to podcasts. That's how we roll. We're available everywhere, in your ear, every week, dropping some new knowledge that will help you to be the best version of yourself and be unapologetically you. See you next time.